Welcome to the AKC Podcast, an audio resource for the King's community following the Associateship of King's College programme. The AKC is an inclusive, research-led programme of lectures, which explore diverse religious and cultural perspectives. For more information, visit kcl.ac.uk forward slash AKC. Lecture resources and further reading links for this lecture are available on the AKC Keats area. Hello, welcome to today's AKC lecture, a part of the series on the body and spirituality. My name is Renee Khan. I'm a fourth year PhD student here at King's College in the Department of Theology and Religious Studies. Uh, the title of today's lecture is Muslim Women's Bodies, Self and Spirituality on Instagram, and is taken from my PhD research, which I'm still uh, currently doing. Um, and my study largely focuses on uh, new media and digital culture, um, and the bodies of knowledge and also culture which are produced, reproduced and remixed creatively and strategically by Muslim women for Muslim women. But it's crucial to understand that the representations of Muslim women um, perpetuated in uh, the mainstream media are crucial to shaping the context in which my participants find and see themselves. Um, a negotiation of these representations of Muslim women, both offline and online, um, and the expectations and assumptions projected from these evocations is an inherent part of the Muslim woman's experience. Um, and it's these assumptions and expectations, I argue, which are embodied in representations of idealised or an ideal Muslim woman. Many of my participants express implicitly and explicitly, a consciousness of these idealised constructions and in turn how these affected their own self and selfhood in relation to these formations. In this lecture what I want to do is explore how these constructions of Muslim women shape and affect selfhood online. Um, and how are the binaries that which arise from these constructions deconstructed and transformed through this agentic digital cultural production by Muslim millennial women as they consume and reproduce content from the Muslim lifestyle sphere and beyond online. So furthermore, I also just want to kind of look at how do these impact the realities of the women I spoke to? How do these influences online affect their body image and their self-esteem and their mental health? Um, so these are some of the things that I want to explore. Because it can be argued that these evocations of the perfect or ideal Muslim woman can be a powerful tool of empowerment and modernity. However, there are complexities and problematics at play when these are largely conveyed through commercial and consumerist ventures online as parts of marketing tools, etc. It's interesting to know that many of my contributors were actually acutely aware of the complex issues and had a great aware, awareness of their participation in perpetuating some of the same systems which marginalise their own experience, so be that um, economic oppression, etc. So the effects of social media on women's body image, mental health and well-being are also key issues which arise when we're thinking about self-presentation and self-image online and I'm hopefully going to be able to explore some of the kind of musings that my participants had on that later on in the lecture. Um, in the case of the research participants that I'm talking to, there's an added layer of intersectional inquiry, um, looking at how intersections of both gender, 
religion and also culture play out when issues of representation and visibility of the Muslim community are fostered online. And, and also look at how these online communities are safe places and safe spaces for Muslim women to express themselves and explore trajectories of self-growth self-growth and nurture authentic selfhood outside the confines of what is traditionally available to them. So just a quick overview of today's talk. I'll be giving you a quick project overview and talking to you about my methodology very briefly. Um, and we'll be looking at media constructions of Muslim women and how these tropes play out and then looking at how these are then transformed online and then um, focusing more on when we're talking about body issues and things like that, moving on. So a part of my PhD project, I've interviewed 15 women of British Bangladeshi heritage from Tower Hamlets. Um, they're all aged between 18 and 38, which seems like a really big age group. But when it comes to definitions of millennial, actually 18 to 38 covers it. But also when we're broadly speaking about the experiences online, there's parity. So there's real likenesses there, depending regardless of whether someone's in their mid thirties or in their early twenties. But also I plan to look at some of the intergenerational differences if they do occur. So I think there's quite a lot of space for interesting analysis there. Um, so in the data, as I was pouring through it, there's loads of occurrences of selfhood and self-making and agency which seem to be cropping up. And it's also these are things that are existing in the literature about Muslim women that exists already. So I kind of looking at their digital lives and looking at these issues seem like a relevant kind of way to go. I don't know if that's what I'll end up doing, but at the moment that's where I'm at with it. And um, I'm focusing on the, um, the social media platform Instagram. And the reason for that is that not only am I a big fan and user of it and have been for a long time since it started over a decade ago is that I also find it an incredibly creative space it's a photo sharing that's largely what it was um, um, kind of developed as as a photo sharing um, app and since then has obviously built loads of other arms for um, it's used but at the end of the day fundamentally it's an incredibly creative space um, where visual content is like holds primacy and so for me as a filmmaker I was a documentary producer and still am in my kind of life previous to my PhD so um, making films I think like the BBC and the Guardian and National Geographic and Discovery show like making history films for me storytelling is really interesting and I think that the stories that women are telling through the images that they share is in itself like something to be re really to explore so for me it felt like a really um I felt like I was in quite a unique place to um, bring my creative and professional experience to the fore when it came to this project. Um, but also I am also a British Bangladeshi woman, um, um, born in Tower Hamlet. So I've got this kind of proximity and insight, which means that there's some kind of a closeness and intimacy that I have with some of my participants. Um, obviously I have to dross over like my positionality and all of this. Um, but inherent to the social media experience is this curation of the self online, how we present ourselves through self-publishing um, and self-making in these visual productions and image making that we present either on our grids or through our stories. So that's kind of what I'm looking at in my PhD. And having spoken to these women in my interviews, in one-to-one -one, um, online interviews that I did, um, it looks like kind of these are some of the things that um, women are looking at when it 
and and kind of exploring online. So there are kind of obvious avenues of looking at kind of Islamic knowledge online. So be that kind of inquiries into like religious sermons about like how to be a better Muslim, how to pray certain ways to specific linguistic um, kind of knowledge basics on how learning how to recite Arabic properly. Um, but also looking at very, very kind of specific things which are at kind of femininity and womanhood in Islam and how to be um, a good woman in Islam, as it were. Um, there are also other pursuits in terms of like community, be it as Bangladeshis, be it East Londoners, um, be it as feminists. So there's, there's avenues for kind of building community online. Um, and many of the women I spoke to are also social activists. So like, so and, and kind of being able to use Instagram to make connections and networks with other people and like-minded activists like themselves. Um, modest fashion and makeup was a huge part and almost is kind of taken as a given as a part of the consumption that women are making online. Um, I think everyone takes for granted that we look at food and makeup um, and, and fashion when we're scrolling through our feeds. So those were kind of things. But I think what made my... Um, my participants really distinct or at least from what I can see is the kind of self-expression which is also really bound up in um, defiance of like gender roles so some of my participants talked about their like love of fitness and in, in particular weight training uh, which is itself seen as like quite a, um, a masculine space um, and coming from quite a patriarchal Bangladeshi um, communities that like doing things like going and being part of cycling groups for example and um, being part of um, uh, things like a uh, night like traveling alone for example these are parts of you know the community that aren't like necessarily that accepted or at least condoned so going Instagram and using and finding community through their social um, platforms was a way of kind of culturing these levels of self-expression um, also something that doesn't really get talked about and hopefully we'll be able to look at really briefly at the end of the lecture is talking about how like spaces for advice and support especially for those who are victims um, of um, like abuse and things like that and also for exploring well-being which is outside the confines of say spirituality in the traditional Islamic sense um, and we'll touch on that a little bit later. So just to move on, um, thinking about the traditional media constructions of Muslim women and how these um, play out. Um, so I'm kind of going to present like three tropes that are really, really common and um, seem to be uh, prevalent in the mindsets of the women that I spoke to, but also out in the media um, landscape. So the first is that is of the oppressed Muslim woman. Um, I think with the latest... Um, kind of ventures in Afghanistan this is something that I think is at the forefront of everyone's mind the first is this this trope of um, the passive oppressed undervalued and imprisoned and almost always veiled um, Muslim woman who's like kind of captive to her patriarchal and archaic um, community and Leela Abulugod um, charts a long history of this gendered orientalism in the framing of Muslim women as unfree subjects um, confined by their religious shackles. Um, in this construction, I think it's important to note that the Muslim woman has no agency um, or will and often needs a white saviour to come and emancipate her. And that's kind of some of the conversations we've seen as, we've, uh, as the Afghanistan situation has developed. Um, and so the next 
construction is that of the Muslim woman who's rooted in the idea of Islam as a political threat and as a political threat to Western culture. So this portrays Muslim woman um, as the terrorist or the Islamic extremist amongst us. And this militant Muslim woman is often shown in either a hijab and in more recent times, um, what I've got as a picture is of Shamima Begum, a British Bangladeshi woman from Tower Amlets who left her home um, to join the extremist group ISIS. Um, in Syria at the young age of 15. Um, I think what's important to note is that like the moral judgments of Shamima Begum as a traitor and aberration of nature really weigh in on the way that her, her, the construction of her was shown. She's often shown in her hugely black veil and jilbab. Um, and it crucially kind of ignores the, the fact that this woman who faced trial at the age of 19 had been indoctrinated as a child. That kind of moral thing goes out the window at this point. And regardless of her alleged crimes, Shamima's case kind of highlighted the fact that Muslim women are not treated with the same compassion and objective judgment um, because of the choice they make to uphold Islam in whatever form that might take. Um, and so the third and final kind of trope that I want to explore is the moderate and acceptable face of Islam um, of uh, Muslim women and also the champion of multiculturalism, usually a Muslim personality, uh, sorry, media personality like Nadia Hussein, who, though veiled, is pointedly um, unpolitical in her public persona. You'll also notice that her hijab turned into more of a um, fashionable kind of turban and that in itself is kind of accommodating a more acceptable uh, look. Um, and I love Nadia, so I don't want to seem like I'm um, a hater in, in any way. I think she's fantastic. But as a celebrity baker, like, it may not feel, feel that necessarily problematic construction, um, but there are issues when we think about her as one of the few Muslim women on the television and when her Muslimness, as it were, is constantly muted and instead all her TV shows are have the word British in them and all her books are talking about her British identity, which no doubt she is also British, but this idea about her being essentially a model minority or the good immigrant who's amenable and non-disruptive. I think also so I think I should say that in in recently she's actually talked a little bit about that and so she's kind of disrupted that a bit. But I think generally it still holds that she is this kind of smiling, amenable face of Islamic identity, which is really, really amenable to the establishment. So I think um, thinking about the way that these constructions play out on... Um, the women that I spoke to, I just wanted to use a quote from Orin, who's a, um, she's a 28 year old lawyer. And she says, I think growing up in post 7-7 generation as a brown visible Muslim, I felt like I had to, had to justify my ex existence, or I had to justify the fact that I'm a good human being. I'm brown, I'm Muslim, and I'm a good human being, but I'm a good human being, despite being brown and Muslim. So these multifaceted impressions of Muslim women in wider society are all negotiated um, by my research participants on a day-to-day -day, um, basis. And like Orin, there's this like heightened awareness amongst most of the women that I spoke to of these perceptions of Muslim women in wider society. 
which impacted their comportment and the way they were in their workspaces, in their school settings and in their social settings. So when you combine these with the pressures and expectations um, from their own community, from their own families as women, it's quite a difficult kind of thing to negotiate constantly and they're constantly grappling it but it makes them highly sophisticated when it comes to um, negotiating day-to-day battles. I think it's also important to note that like despite the overarching media portrayals of Muslim women and the Muslim community, um, the women growing up in the UK um, are affected by like hegemonic gender expectations conveyed through society's norms and values. In contemporary culture, the modern woman is self-motivated and high achieving, who can have it all, but importantly, must also adhere to the heteronormative standards where the ultimate goal is marriage and child motherhood. Um, and so there is a confusion of, in terms of portrayals of women in the media and who is celebrated by society. So you can live your dreams and celebrate yourself as long as it sticks to the heteronormative expectations of a woman to become a wife and a mother, as well as juggling your business, staying super fit and taking all your vitamins. So there's this kind of like really hyper-productive version of the woman that is kind of being melded by the social media kind of environment. And these expectations um, women are bombarded with are manifold and can really have a damaging effect on women's well-being and mental health. And we're going to explore that um, shortly. But what I wanted to do before then is talk about the online constructions of Muslim women. And I think it's really important to say that, like, social media allows for um, more complexity to be endowed when thinking about representations of Muslim women. Um, most of the influences and social media imaging espouse that of like an empowered Muslim woman um, who's living her life to the fullest, um, but whose identity is rooted in her Muslim um, persona and identity and spirituality. And some of the influences that kind of come up um, and who are probably the most prominent are Dina Tokyo, Asia, Amina Khan, who were like the original social media bloggers who launched themselves on YouTube and then later on Instagram. And then also these cultural spaces which exist that are made for and by Muslim women, um, like Amalia, um, um, Azima magazine, Muslim Sisterhood is to mention another one run by some of my friends, Um Kazine as well, which is also a zine run by and begun by Muslim women. They're all kind of artists and Muslim creatives. So there's real like Muslim female-led authorship in all of this. Um, and what's important to know is that these kind of representations show are numerous and multifaceted so there's so much texture to them and diversity to them and they're always empowered and they're super aspirational and creative um, and very very visual based and I think it's important to note when it comes to influences and Muslim influences they help construct the um, changing idealised version um, for Muslim women by opening up the conversation online in the community about modest fashion where for example the disempowering um, the male gaze happened so um, and the male gaze dominates the Islamic discourse about hijab and modesty but by disempowering that 
in doing so, they're able to like center the female experience of hijab and modesty and empower the experience from a woman-centered experience. So self-expression through fashion and makeup, where faith was still central, but also comportment became a real tool in terms of defiance of this kind of um, the, the kind of dominant conversation around hijab. So saying that many of the bloggers and influencers I, I, um, like I mentioned, like Dina, for example, um, fed into also traditional things. So they were like amazing businesswomen, super creative, but also they kind of still played out the familiar tropes in traditional constructions of idealized Muslim women. So that of a mother, a wife, a homemaker, but with the incorporation of like this successful um, entrepreneur, creative, video blogger, etc., businesswoman. Um, and in many ways, this is a really aspirational Muslim woman and celebrates what Muslim women can do, the fact that they can do anything. But with all these idealised constructions, there are fault lines and problematics um, which exist and affect their audiences in no, numerous ways. Um, uh, things like the perpetuation of like body image issues, Eurocentric beauty standards are just to name a few. Um, also, there's these problematics when it comes to being British Bangladeshi. The model of Instagram centers around the consumer product and the marketing of these products and a lot of this is about like fast fashion and fashion and the many of the influencers build their brands around their islamic identity and fashion however like there's a lot of problematic uh messaging here um because when that message is then co-opted by commercial multinational consumer brands with um, dubious ethical um, records like Nike, H&M, D&G, Zara, there becomes some problematics, especially when you're British Bangladeshi and sweatshops um, reside mainly in your country. So I think there's a lot of like there's a lot of tussle that people kind of have emotionally, and I'm sure we all kind of suffer with that but my participants were super aware of that i kind of just want to look at quickly the binaries that exist when that are just kind of to represent the kind of constant tussle that um young british muslim women are having to deal with it's this idea of like good muslim bad muslim being visible and wanting to be visible but also like feeling invisible despite you know your constant struggle for that these ideas of being perfect online and having the perfect life, but also the realities of being authentic um, and performing in, in kind of those two things. This idea of like holding on to your traditional um, uh, identity, but also um, being a Western subject and a Western creature. Um, things about self-love and self-exposition. Um, but also wanting to be represented, but knowing that you're heavily surveilled. And these are kind of the textures of experience when we're talking about being online as a Muslim. So moving on and thinking about body image. Now, there are, this is like one of the big issues when it comes to being online and putting yourself online. It's the exposure that one gets. And these kind of touch on some of the more negative effects of social media. It's not just having to negotiate the realities of being a Muslim woman in the ways that I told you and the binaries that we've kind of explored, but also mediating the wider influence of normative beauty standards. And so I just wanted to use a um, 
a quote from Manadia, who's a 22-year-old student. Um, she says, when the Muslim influences started to get big, I never felt represented. Um, I just felt suffocated by another um, industry of people that were telling me that you could look beautiful um, and pretty if you fit like the fitness criteria. People who were celebrating brown beauty, but they're all fair skinned, didn't have big noses or even dark skin. And what really pisses me off is this glorification of the Bangladeshi woman. It's like, yeah, it's amazing. But even when you have Tamil or Bengali, South Asian, dark skinned women online, they have no meat on them whatsoever. And the only way you're going to be beautiful and dark skinned is if you're skinny. Moving on to think about kind of a layer on top of that is that, you know, this thing of like filters and the use of kind of these face in position filters, which if you don't use Instagram, these filters while you're using your camera kind of um, um, can affect your facial features. So you end up looking different. So it either adds makeup or kind of elongates your face and does all these things. And what it does is impose these kind of Eurocentric beauty standards. So here's another example of how social media can affect the body quite negatively. Nuzha, who's 21 uh, and a student, says, I feel like everyone else looks amazing on these no makeup days because they put a filter on which makes them look more presentable, that it just makes my face look less presentable. I was looking at these bloggers and they never posted their face on their story they always posted with this filter. And I just thought how damaging that is. And the reality is that there's places in, um, in Scandinavia, for example, where they're trying to impose laws on the way that these filters are affecting like self-perception, especially in younger people. So it has a real impact on the way that people feel about themselves, but also a perpetuation of um, unrealistic beauty standards and also really, really um, like uh, photoshopped faces but also really eurocentric so a lot of the filters like use quite like longer faces like smaller eyes and things like that so and kind of deform people's noses to make them look narrower and stuff like that so kind of like de deracinating people but to a certain formula you know um and so I just moving on to think about how um, mental health is affected online, there isn't all downsides to the downsides that we're talking about in terms of body image and uh, mental health. There are also kind of the upsides because many of my participants also talked about how being online and being able to find communities online has really, really helped them in terms of their own self journeys of self growth and self exploration, be it emotionally and with it when it comes to spiritually as well. So, um, Saida, who's an English teacher who's 34, says, the positive outweighs the negative. The best thing I found on social media is the access to psychotherapists and counselors. I love, love the conversation they're creating. I've learned so much about myself. And the thing is that I've internalised because of how they've made it specific to our experiences of being Asian. The support that comes flooding through from other women in these groups as well. When they offer their advice, they're like, yeah, mate, same thing happened to me. Yeah, me too. And so here you find this real sense of kind of like almost like fraternal and like 
kind of sisterhood that happens amongst people who are sharing their experiences, their troubles, their traumas, um, those who are victims of abuse or things like that, who are able and survivors who are able to come together online and be defiant in their experience. So that's a really like beautiful kind of bookend to some of the experiences online that are happening with women. So I just wanted to end um, today's lecture looking, really thinking about um, selfhood and how it's helped shape some of my participants and I think overwhelmingly I think the kind of take that I've been able to represent is kind of surmised in this lovely quote by Jasmine who's 29 year old um, a social worker because I feel like it really surmises kind of the overall experience of when we're talking about Muslim women's bodies and selfhood online how it kind of plays out um, and it really kind of is summarised really beautifully in this um, this quote. Um, Jasmine says, Instagram has definitely shaped my views as an adult in terms of like female empowerment. I feel like it's really open to my eyes that because we are brown doesn't mean it's a barrier. We can achieve a lot more and we can do a lot more. Yeah, I think it's a really powerful statement of how these women's digital lives have an impact on their well-being and um, their sense of being in, and, and that can have a knock-on effect on the way that they regard their spirituality and themselves and their day-to-day -day lives. So in conclusion I think what we have to see is that um, when we think about selfhood in Muslim women online there's a continuation in the construction and deconstruction of what the idealized Muslim woman is and these developments essentially took the power away from the veil and clothing in discourse amongst Muslim women um, in terms of their comportment. And this in itself is uh, affecting and impacting the nature of selfhood in respect to putting the religious onus on the individual away from that comportment. And in a way, what the cosmos of Islamic lifestyle influences consumers has done is to take the gaze away from their bodies and their choices in how they cover and represent themselves to a more agentic articulation of selfhood bound in their own self-expression, which is incredibly important in terms of the way they evoke spirituality. Whether or not this has happened intentionally, what it has done, according to my participants, is, quote, alleviated the pressure off of hijabis and non-hijabis to maintain the perfect Muslim persona. So what I like to think about is how these online spaces made by and for Muslim women act as a space in which this group is free to explore and express themselves beyond the limitations presented in their geographical, social and cultural realities, beyond the binaries that exist and that were represented and discussed earlier. In this online world that British Muslim women make, are making, Choices that define the nuances of their religious identity and their spiritual identity and discover how that relates to other aspects of their selves and selfhood. These new social sp spaces are enabling Muslim women to forge new identities and modes of being that challenge their cultural and societal and gender expectations to redefine their aspirations and their sense of place, being and belonging. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to the AKC podcast. If you have enjoyed this lecture, please click subscribe in your podcast app to receive future episodes. AKC. 
at the heart of King's thinking. 